Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, a Heart of Midlothian dedicated podcast with me, Laurie Dunsire, joined again by the other guy, Mark Donaldson. Hello. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm not bad. I've had a bit not of bad, cold. We've, just won, we've won two games <laughs> in a row and we're six points clear at the top of the table. You're not bad. Come on. We, we get we get accustomed to that. We we get used don't, to it. Don't don't <laughs> don't want to get complacent. I'm sure Craig Levine has has got um, everything sorted in that respect. Uh, quickly, you probably heard the intro music was slightly different this week. Um, that's thanks to the the ten o fours an Edinburgh band. Uh, the interlude that we've got there, or the intro, was from their song "Lights Out" from their album "A Common Wealth." So if you want to check them out. I think you get them on the, the usual sources, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, they are the 1004s. So thank you to them for uh, the music this week. And uh, I would like to start just by having a quick look through a couple of messages that we've received, uh, some related to what we spoke about last week. I know, Mark, you'd mentioned Peter McCloy, your big discovery yeah. as a View from Gorgie on Twitter, they actually they do a blog and quite active on social media. They said they think he was signed as a goalkeeping coach, although wasn't sure how he ended up on the bench for the Bayern games. So. Yeah, just just weird. That's the only two times he ever played. Well, he didn't even play. That's the thing. He was he appeared on the bench for home and away, um, and and never played. Just I just it just something I didn't know about and. It, after all these years, and as I said to you last week, there's a lot of stuff I'm, I'd be pretty confident of knowing between '85 and 2000. But that uh, I was at, I was at the home game. Um, wasn't allowed to go to the away game because I had school. Um, but yeah, it was a wonderful home game, and I, I could not have told you that Peter McCloy was on the bench. So we, you live and learn, Mr. Dunsire. You certainly do. One of the other players we mentioned last week was uh, Kevin James. The giant defender, uh, Foxtrot Oscar, on Twitter said uh, <laughs> after he listened to the um, last episode, said he thinks Kevin James is now a cop in Australia. Uh, he said he was most definitely a jambo, uh, but that's something I didn't know. If that's true, I not that I've I've looked up what Kevin James does these days, but that's that's certainly interesting. That would, he would be a pretty intimidating police officer, I think. Yeah, but there's not much to him as well. I mean, get blown over by a gust of wind. <laughs> Speaking of cops, I ended up with a pair of goalkeeping gloves. Andy Bruce's mother used to work with my father at Lothian and Borders Police, and that was a gift one day that he came home with. That and a jersey. Now, here's one for you. This is this is of any uh, interest to anybody who may have collected um, jerseys back in the day, and I know there's a few out there that do. I have a jersey from the 1985-86 season, uh, which is number 11. Um, but here's the here's the weird thing: um, the Mita sponsorship logo is a white, um, long rectangular patch. Which for the, I think it was only, and anybody who, whether it's um, Gary Cowan or anybody that, that can help us with this, I'd love to know more about it. It's clearly been stitched on. Now, I believe they used the jerseys um, at the beginning of 85, 86. I don't know if they ever played. I doubt they would have played in the league with them. What they were, they were the jerseys that Hearts wore in 84, 85, because you can see 
just briefly, underneath the stitched MITRE rectangular logo says Renault, um, which is what Hearts, I think it's Renault, it's either Renault or Alexander's, whatever they wore in, in 84, 85. So I think what they did in 85, 86 was the reserves used these jerseys. I'm not 100% sure, but I think the first team might have used them at the beginning of the season, maybe in friendly. So any info about that is much appreciated. My, my father said that it was Robbo's jersey. So I used to, it used to be my, it used to be my pajamas. Um, when, <laughs> when I was eight years old, I used to wear this Hearts jersey as my pajamas. Uh, but it, it was worn by the first team in 84, 85. I know that in the, in the first team games. But what, when did they wear it in 85, 86? Was it reserves only? Was it first team for a, some, a number of games or what? I'd be interested to, to know more. That's, that's my kind of weirdest piece of, of Hearts memorabilia. That and the Andy Bruce goalkeeping gloves. Goodness knows what happened to them. You got any? Um, I've got weird. a... No. Mm, I can't think of any weird. I've got some pretty standard. I've got a couple of shirts from actual players. Nothing overly exciting like that. I, I was just going to ask: Do you still wear hearts shirts as your PJs? <laughs> I'm actually, saying I wear them in the house. I don't want to be one of those um, full kit wankers. Um, <laughs> so I've got the new one on just now because it was brought over by my mother-in-law and father-in-law. So I always like to. In fact, funnily enough, um, I've just received a package from Classic Football Shirts. I ordered the. Now, it had UK Bankus on it. It was the blue and white away kit or third kit that we wore in, what, 2010, 2011? Ah, yes, for some, Yeah, for some reason I never got it at the time. I think it, that was the year I moved over here, 2010. So I never got around to getting it. I finally got my hands on it. Uh, just a smart kit, a smart kit. And it, it reminded me a little bit. I've, all, I've still got this one because I collected the, the shirts back in the day. I've still got the... Uh, light blue and black away kit. Uh, I think it was a Strongbow one. Oh, that's good. Back. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the mid nineties. So the oldest one I've got is the the Robo slash eighty four eighty five one. Um, I just and I've got a couple of Thorn security ones and and various other ones. It's just weird. I, I would never part with them, unlike uh, you and your your scarves. <laughs> I do still have a. I still have a few old Tarts shirts. I've still got the ninety eight. Cup winner season shirt. Um, ah, what, what, what? Sorry for interrupting. Um, I don't know over the past few weeks if I've told you about um, Stefan Adam, who uh, thankfully now is a very good friend of mine, all because he, he chased a girl I used to work with. First name and number. First name uh, and number I had in the back of a heart shirt, Stefan Adam. There you go. I have got, he gave me his jersey that he scored against Falkirk in the semi final. Okay. Um, at Ibrox. He, he scored a couple of goals. I'll tell you that. It's, it's a story for another day about him chasing Haley from Radio Fourth Sales <laughs> and um, asking if uh, I was available for a week because um, he needed somewhere to stay after he had left Hearts, but wanted to come back. He just wanted to, to you know what, with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I basically, um, I put him up for a couple of days, and he didn't need the other five days in the bedroom because he, he was in our bedroom for the last five days. You were Stefan Adam's wingman? Yeah, yeah that's, well, where, <laughs> does, he, look, does he really need a wingman? I mean, really, he, he, he doesn't. I, I was his facilitator. There you go. That sounds better than wingman. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. Yeah, 
one of the other things I mentioned last show uh, was songs in relation to to hearts, uh, and by that I guess I was meaning chants or songs for players or a, against opposition players. Didn't get a whole lot of feedback for this one, so maybe I'll leave the homework to Mark going forward. But um, Ian Fenton did mention um, he's fat, he's round, he bounces off the ground, Jimmy Bone. Mm, yeah, he was he was good for Rob. Robbo always said good things about Jimmy Bone. He helped him immeasurably. So um, I guess mocking player weight is always a is always a popular one, isn't it? I was going to add one of my favourites, and you'll know this one very well. Obviously, Mister, we've got a lot of Frenchmen. Seems to be the common theme this week. Uh, Jean Louis Valois. Uh, you'll probably remember when we got towards the festive time. Hearts fans decided that uh, it would be the 12 Valois of Christmas. Um, oh dear. Do you recall that at all? No, no. No, so it's not the most imaginative song. It's on the 12th day of Christmas, you know, but every single verse is Valois. So 12 Valois, 11 Valois, 10 Valois, 9 Valois, 8 Valois, etc., etc., etc. But you would do the whole thing. But I have fond memories of it because in the season... Years later, in the season where we started, obviously, with minus 15 points in administration with a team almost entirely of kids, first game of the season, it was a wonderful roasting day in um, Perth. Hearts lost 1-0. It was the start of a journey, I think, where we all knew where we were going to end up in terms of the championship, but we weren't sure exactly if we'd still be in business. And it was sort of a season of defiance and solidarity, I think. And just bizarrely, we'd all had a few drinks and we were sitting at Perth Station in the sun. And this is, what, 2014? So we're talking, what, a decade since Valois had been at Hearts? And we all just started singing the Valois Christmas song at Perth Station, having just lost and sitting in the sun in August. It just, it, it was just one of these weird moments where a song which has nothing to do with any of the players of that current Hearts team and there's no reason for us to be singing it. It's not even the right time of the year for it. But it just worked. And uh, yeah, so there's one of mine. Uh, Mark Wells uh, was saying he remembers, this is a bit different than chants and songs. This is actually music that is played. And he said he remembers listening to Brian Adams' We're Gonna Win amongst a few other songs pre-match before the Heart song in the late 90s, he said. Marshall's Chunky Chicken <laughs> on the 85-86 song. I think it was on the B side, and then it went through all the players, and then it had some commentary as well. Those of us of a certain vintage will never forget Marshall's the Chunky Chicken Champions constantly on repeat. Marshall's the Chunky Chicken Champions. Marshall's the Chunky Chicken Champions. Marshall's the Chunky Chicken Champions. Okay, we are going to talk about Hearts matches since we've had two uh, since the last time we were on air. So we've had two games, Hearts against Aberdeen and Dundee against Hearts. So let's have a look at both games and talk through some of the key points of them. Hearts-Aberdeen happened first up uh, before Dundee on the Tuesday night. So we'll just listen back to some of the goals from both of these games from Hearts TV. They have um, been generally aerially dominant, but Lee does go to the right. He looks for Morrison. 
He'll whip it in on his right foot. Beats his man on a dribble at the front post. Great header, great goal! This what we deserve. We've been this saying we it might be nil-nil while well, Arnold June proves everyone wrong. What a fantastic headed goal on his 99th appearance for Hearts. And he runs to Craig Levine. And they are all jumping about in that technical area. Watch the gaffer suit, watch the gaffer suit, guys. <laughs> Lee looks to swing it in. He goes low. Naismith tries to get there. He's given a penalty. Well, out of all the corners and set-piece routines that have seen grappling matches, that one's been given, and I didn't see it. I thought the two players, it was, I thought it was a poor ball in from the corner. Naismith had fallen with, I don't know who it was. Um, I, I think it might be Lewis Ferguson. Uh, they, they both fell over. Um, it might have hit a hand, maybe. Have been, uh, it, it looks like it would have been accidental, Andrew. It has to be accidental. The Aberdeen players are furious, and I can fully understand that. So he runs up now, Stephen A. Smith. Hits it to the right, and it is 2-0 Hearts. Boom goes the dynamite as Stephen Naismith celebrates again, celebrating his September Player of the Month award with another goal for Hearts. Gary Mackay Stephen to take. We've been really critical of him all, all day, but it looks like he could get his name on the score sheet from the 12-yard spot to make it 2-1. It's exactly what Craig Levine won't have wanted. Gary Mackay Stephen hits it to the right and makes it hearts to Aberdeen 1. Aberdeen back in this game. Bozanic steps up left-footed, curls it. Decent effort and it's into the bottom right corner. What a start for the Jambos. Oli Bozanic curls in a lovely free kick for his first goal for the Edinburgh side. And it's first blood to Craig Levine's men in under two minutes. Here's Inguatala. Midway inside the Hearts half. Oh, he's been robbed by Doom. Chance for Hearts on the break now. Slip to Naismith. It's a good chance on the counter-attack. Naismith has to go back to Michael Smith. Inguatala stayed down. If anything, it's more disappointing that he lost the ball, but Hearts do continue. Morrison, Smith on the right, chance for Hearts, low data, looking for McLean, low flick, it's over goal, Nick Smith in, 2-0 Hearts, easy as that, swift counter-attack, and it was a decisive counter-attack, and Stephen Naismith gets goal number 11 of the season. Yes, Puts Cam McCarron down, immediate pressure, and wins the ball in the Dundee box, plays it to Stephen Nesmith, tries to find it to Steve McLean, Carl Morrison's at the back post, cuts it back, McLean, and Hearts get the third goal, almost instantly in the second half, and it is Stephen McLean with the goal, his fifth of the season, and Craig Levine can't be any happier with that start. So of course, Hearts uh, 1-2-1 against Aberdeen on Saturday, and what was a big game, as was going into this match, there was some doubt about maybe the, the confidence that Hearts have been feeling of late because not only were they missing club captain Christoph Berra, but John Suter and Uchi Ekpiezu were, of course, ruled out as well. And Peter Hanning didn't make it as well. First up, Mark, before we get into the game, the news which happened, I guess, what, hours after our podcast came out last week was that John Suter and Uchi Ekpiezu we're both ruled out for almost half a year, and I think I messaged you at the time, basically saying, season's over, cancel the podcast, cancel the semi-final, <laughs> let's just call it a day. We've dealt well without them. We dealt well against Aberdeen, we dealt well against Dundee, and I think the biggest compliment you can pay um, is that Jimmy Dunn and um, Clavin DiCamona have not looked out of place whatsoever as a partnership. And uh, listening, I'm sure we'll go into this in a second, about the Dundee game. Um, obviously, I watched the Dundee FC coverage on the Hearts website, but when I listened a bit to Sports Sound afterwards, 
um, when they were summing up from Dens Park, uh, they said that a lot of teams in the Premiership would love to have that pairing. Um, and and I mean, Jimmy Dunn wouldn't even be at Hearts if, if Berra hadn't have been injured. And and Dicamona as well is a, a bit part player if everybody's fit. And they've just come in and, and they've done a wonderful job. And they haven't looked out of place whatsoever. So it's not ideal. You can't lose two key players like that and expect um, consistency. But I've been pleasantly surprised by the two games since uh, the two injuries were announced. And the first game against Aberdeen turned into a bit of a bruising encounter. 11 yellow cards. Mm. And I suppose... <laughs> Graham, Graham Shinney wasn't <laughs> one of them. Mark's terrific shout of uh, Graham mm. Shinney to be booked in that game. Six of the Aberdeen players were booked, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Not Graham. him. He's the one most likely every week to get booked and he kept his powder dry. It's a, but referee Kevin Clancy certainly had a, a busy afternoon and uh, I think one thing we'll have to pick up on uh, is the penalty calls. Of course, mm. one, one wasn't given quite early on, which I thought looked like a penalty when uh, Dom Ball I looked to have a hold of Naismith as he tried to go for a cross, and he seemed to miss that one. But obviously a little bit later on, he gave one which was never a penalty. So there was also one when the ball is played in from a set piece. Now, if we say that the first tug is a third of a penalty, the second (laughs) tug is a third of a penalty, and the third tug is a third of a penalty, does that mean that those three add up to a penalty? Because at least one of them was... And for, for me, I know that they're, they're saying that it was a, a Lewis Ferguson handball. That, I, I, look, I'm a Hearts fan, of course. I'm a passionate supporter of the club. That's a nonsense decision. If that's given against Hearts, oh, it's a dear points of view time. It, it, it's an atrocious decision. He actually thinks, Lewis um, Ferguson, that he's getting the free kick. And, and, and he doesn't. And now, in this may be a rare instance of two wrongs finally making a right, but I thought it was a weird one for Kevin Clancy. I don't feel, I just felt it had an undercurrent in the game that with the 11 bookings, I'm not sure he, he appeared in total control throughout. And I'm, I'm pretty, not sad, but I'm frustrated that we're talking about that uh, in, instead of an excellent first half performance. I've seen as many games as I can see with work commitments and everything, I'd say I've seen 90 to 95% of games. And if I don't see them live, I'll watch the full match back on, on Hearts TV. Um, so I'd like to think I'm talking or coming at this from a, a position of kind of knowledge, having seen them. It'd be interesting to see what people listening to this think as well. If I said to the, the listeners, and you as well, because you've commentated on, on many um, this season, even though you turned your back on them and, and sold out for some pal's wedding at the weekend <laughs> against against Aberdeen. Um, the two halves of football, this is the question. It's not your homework because the homework is coming later for this week. Um, give me two halves that you have seen this season that you would consider to be the two best halves of football that Hearts have played. Mine would be first half against St. Johnston. Yep. And first half against Aberdeen, uh, both at Tyne Castle. Those for me would be the... I just thought we were exceptional. I loved our movement. It was similar to St. Johnston. Uh, I, I just thought it was excellent, the first half against Aberdeen. certainly was. And one thing that was clear from the start, Stephen Naismith, Hearts talisman, he of course won that penalty that 
didn't look like a penalty, which he then dispatched for the second goal. But right from the off, he seemed to be targeted. Um, and Aberdeen, I think, tried to rough him up. But it takes a lot, I think, to rough Stephen Naismith up. I used to hate him. Absolutely detest him. Everyone does if, if he's not on your team, I think. He's one of those there guys, isn't he? One of those players. I'm, I've, I've, I've now... F- I couldn't remember. He always reminded me of someone. And I now know who it is. Okay? I used to read the Beano when I was at school. And from time to time, a character in the Beano appeared. And that, for me, is Stephen Naismith. Uh, Babyface Finlayson. He okay. was an absolute menace. He was the type of little brother who would cause mayhem. And I put a similar tweet out, not mentioning Babyface Finlayson. But he, he, he's like your, your younger sibling. Uh, who just winds you the hell up and then just as mum and dad are about to come home, drops a piece of dynamite and then walks away and then your big brother or big sister's left to clean up the mess. He's like the um, the menace, the fire starter. And my God, it's brilliant to have him in our team because I put a tweet out after the Dundee game or after the Aberdeen game, whichever one it was, about him being the heartbeat of that football club. And just watching him against Dundee on the the, the, the coverage on Hearts TV, he was uh, he's constantly in the referee's ear. And he, he's, like, he's like one of these nippy little dogs, the yappy dogs that, that just getting about you at your ankles. You're like, piss off. Just leave me alone. <laughs> but he's got, he's got so much ability and he's 31, 32 years old now. And it's only, what, uh, two years since he got a hat-trick in the, in the Premier League um, down south for, for Everton. I think he's back to that type of form because he's enjoying his football. But my God, I would not want him to be in the opposition team because I used to hate it when he was. When he was at Kilmarnock, he was a wee nyaf. When he was at Rangers, he was a wee pest. He's our nyaf. He's our pest. He's our baby-faced Finlayson. And I love that. And the thing is with Stephen Naismith, I, I don't know him personally, but from people who've spoken to him and from listening to interviews, I think he's he's one of these. It's Scott Brown's got a bit of this as well. I think yeah. he's a genuinely really nice guy. He does a load of charity work. He seems to come across as someone who you would quite like to be pals with, whether you're a Hearts fan, a Rangers fan or whatever. But he's built this on-field persona and it's part of what makes him effective not only has he got a hell of a lot of football ability for this level certainly i think he's well above what you would expect hearts to have in all honesty technical wise mm-hmm. but he's got this persona where he gets in people's faces he he's chatting to the ref he's he's trying to wind up opposition fans opposition players and it works you can see people rising to him you can see darren od rising to him you can see other players getting frustrated <laughs> trying to foul him and you can see opposition fans they hate him and i've seen a few comments recently from i saw aberdeen fans saying it going god naysmith i can't stand him i hate him he's a this he's a that he's another thing i really wish he played for us yeah he's, a, he's, he's just a winner isn't he and he, he riles you up so much robert borthwick on twitter put out some pictures and it's it's the same thing. He kind of points and laughs and then just on he goes and you're left in his wake, um, shaking your head, I'm going to get you, I'm going to... And you never do. He, he, honestly, he's he's someone who's just... I, I don't know where Hearts would be this season without him and I've got no interest in finding out because he's integral to how Hearts play. Uh, he is the heartbeat of the side 
He is a winner. He has the respect of everyone else. And do you know what? I know I wouldn't wish ill on anybody. And it's unfortunate about Christoph and, and John Suter being injured. He is the perfect Hearts captain. Definitely. Uh, going back to the Aberdeen game, so we, obviously the penalty was the, the goal that doubled the advantage. But the first goal, a, a couple of things about that as well. One, I like that we seem to have some set pieces worked out here. It's not anything complicated, this one. It's just a simple roll out to Morrison. But the likes of Ollie Lee seems to have a a little think about what he's going to do with free kicks, not just launch it in or go for a goal every time. Just rolls out to Morrison, who seems to have terrific delivery, by the way. Wonderful cross onto Arno Doom with a very good header. How pleasing was it to see him getting a goal and the way he celebrated that? Yeah, and see what it meant from as well. And he put out a tweet um, earlier today that the official Hearts account retweeted that that was his hundredth game and. He went through a spit. He had a great time winning uh, over in Africa with his, his nation, Cameroon, and came back. And, and he's, he struggled at times with injury. But when he's fit and firing on all cylinders, this is a guy who played for one of the best teams in the African continent and, and won. When you consider all the African nations and the players, mm-hmm. I'm not comparing them to anybody, but you're, you're talking about a continent that's producing the likes of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane right now. This is a guy that won the tournament for Cameroon, and he's ours. And there was speculation he might, might, might not be happy or because he wants to play, wants to play central or whatever. He's got a smile on his face again. And I think for, for me, that's the common denominator about hearts right now. And you, you talk in sport about momentum being such a huge thing as well. But so is happiness and playing football with a smile on your face and wanting to go into work and train every morning and have that competitive edge. There's one job I wouldn't fancy this week. Do you know what that job is? Picking the team for Sunday. 100%. Craig Levine. Yep. And, and you're, you're spot on. He's got, so, he's got so many options. Now, my only concern, and I trust Craig, I trust him implicitly um, with looking after Hearts because it's it's his. It's his baby. He's not going to let anyone else do anything to it. Uh, and you see the passion that he's got in the in the dugout. My only concern would be he had a similar comment prior to the Livingston game about having three or four dilemmas in various positions. I'd like to think we're further on than we were back then. And... We didn't have Piezo, and that was the first time. We should have won that game, but we didn't. For me, the decision, I think, is, is pretty clear of maybe eight or nine of his starting 11 for Sunday. And I know we're, we're digressing from the Aberdeen, and I'll keep this brief um, from the Aberdeen game. But I think his decision will depend on whether Haring's fit. It will also depend, and even if he is fit, Bozanic has, has come in and done really well. Um, so I, I, I don't envy... Craig Levine having to to pick a team. But give me the chance to pick a team from 15 or 16 clear starters, and you can only pick 11, than scrambling for waifs and strays to make up your 11. So he's got a tough job on his hands. I'm sure he'll make the right decision. Hearts did dominate that first half at Tynecastle against Aberdeen. But things changed a little in the second period. A clumsy Godinho challenge on Niall McGinn Gave Aberdeen a penalty. I don't think there was much doubt about that one. Well, let the Canadian off. He's been out for the best part of half a year. Maybe not quite up to match sharpness yet. Penalty well dispatched by Gary mckay Stephen. We had the Naismith penalty that was well saved by mm. Joe Lewis at the other end. The one thing I would say about the second half, though, 
I wasn't watching at the time. I was nervously checking scores during the drinking of champagne and whatever at the wedding. It maybe showed a little bit of character from Hearts because that goal, as they usually do in a game when it's 2-0, changed the course of it slightly. Nerves start to set in. Aberdeen gain a bit of confidence. And there's some big moments in there. There's one big moment that I want to highlight especially. You probably know where I'm going with this. And it's from a guy who... I was not convinced by at all in the early few matches, and I didn't think we'd see him starting every game very quickly into the season. But he's completely proved me wrong, and that is the eccentric Bobby Slamal. And mm. what a save from Gary McKay-Steven when Hearts are only 2-1 ahead. A, 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 a save that won at least two points at that point, because you don't know what's going to happen after, of course. But I think the momentum would have certainly switched the other way, but what a big right hand that is, and what's a very difficult shot because it's right along the ground, got a lot of power it's pretty accurate into the corner and I think that's a big moment Yeah, even the Aberdeen player thought he said afterwards in an interview um, he couldn't believe the goalkeeper got to it it was a phenomenal save, it's becoming a fixture that's um, synonymous with good goalkeeping, Joe Lewis at Murrayfield last year, and even Joe Lewis had a couple of good saves as well um, as did Bobby Slamal uh, and that's what you need. I think we've signed 16 players, give or take one or two, or Craig Levine has signed 16 players. That's a lot. And the the lot of averages suggests out of those 16, you're going to get one or two duds. He's not got any so far. And it's the usual football fan, never heard of him, can he be very good? Now there's ways and means of finding out if, if people are good, YouTube or, or whatever. Um, and it, it, we, he didn't know much about him, but we did our homework on him. We, some of us watched him and let's see what we're getting. And it's, it's a bit like the big check that we're going to get in January. Um, I've certainly had a look at him to Plitza and see how he's getting on. Keep tabs on that as well. It's weird. You, when a player signs for your club, it's as if each individual fan kind of owns a part of the hours now. And you want to you want to know what they're like. And there have been issues, one or two issues this season. You're thinking, oh, it's a bit of an eccentric goalkeeper that Hearts have got. But he produced a stunning save. And it it's difficult to compare different saves in different eras or, or whatever. Not so much the eras, it's just the... The importance of a save is, 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 is certainly something that you can highlight. Um, going back to certainly the best save I've seen at Tynecastle was at that end when Craig Levine, I think it was David Clarkson, he denied against Motherwell right at the end. And that saved points for Hearts. Craig Bobby Gordon. Lamals, uh, Craig Gordon. Sorry, did I say Craig Levine? I was about to um, say it. Was... <laughs> yeah, I've rewritten <laughs> history there. No, Craig Gordon produced a stunning save. And I believe that saved Hearts a couple of points and they yeah, went on to two win the game 2-1. Well. Yeah, yeah. So there there you go. And it's just one save, but it's so much more than that. It's 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 kept the momentum going. Who's to say if Aber- if Hearts are 2-0 up and end up only getting a point from Aberdeen, who's to say they go to Dundee and maybe don't score early and maybe get frustrated? It's such a momentum changer if that one goes in the back of the net. So not only has he saved... Hearts two points, and I know we're identifying one specific incident, but he's kept the momentum going with that save. So goal scorers get all the praise when they put the ball in the back of the net. If a keeper makes a mistake, he gets ridiculed. So well done on kind of pointing out that that was a key moment of the match and 
for a wonderful, agile save to get down and to make a save that even the opposition player thought was going to be in the back of the net until Bobby came up with the goods. Dundee uh, hosted Hearts on Tuesday night in a game which was an interesting one from a Hearts perspective. They have a big game on Sunday, of course, against Celtic, missing a few players. Uh, Peter Haring, who missed the Aberdeen game, was not risked I think, to try and keep him potentially available for Celtic. Ollie Lee uh, was just rested. He was put on the bench, which gave Harry Cochran his first league start of the season. And it gave Hearts a chance to go six points clear at the top of the Premiership. Well, obviously, a game extra played, as this game was due to be played on the semi-final weekend, rescheduled for the Tuesday evening. And I think it was a game which, in the end, is what we were hoping for prior to such a big match, because it was just a, a walk in the park, really, after a couple of early goals from Hearts. Uh, and Mark, you managed to catch most of it, I believe, from the States? Yeah, I watched it with my daughter, Ava Grace, and she, as always, has her little hearts top on um, for, for good luck. And Lucky Hedgehog, we have to watch it now with Lucky Hedgehog, um, be, because it's the stupid superstition of football fans. If you do something and your team wins, then you've got to do it again. For So Lucky Hedgehog originated when the Dolphins beat the Bears, um, a few weeks ago when they shouldn't have done. So every time I watch sport with her, and it's one of my teams, we have to watch with Lucky Hedgehog. I was just very impressed in this game with a couple of things. Um, I want to use the noun composure to describe Harry Cochran. This is a kid who doesn't play football the way a 17-year-old should. A 17-year-old shouldn't know some of the things that Harry Cochran knows about how to gain that extra yard of space, that look ahead, knowing what comes next. So much composure for a, for a youngster. And the players that came in as well. Uh, Oli Bozanic um, was, was outstanding. And yeah. he, he does he does give Craig Levine a different option now for the semi-final. Because Scott Brown's now out of the semi-final. He's been ruled out, as has Lee Griffiths. Dedrick Boyata suspended. So is Boyata? Depends. Sorry, um, is Griffiths definitely out? Is he? I know he's yes, missing um, Leipzig. They confirmed that. Um, Brendan Rodgers confirmed that in his pre-match press conference ah, okay. uh, ahead of the RB Leipzig game that Scott Brown's out for uh, for up to three weeks with a calf strain. Uh, the Daily Record is reporting that Lee Griffiths is also out of Sunday. Uh, Tom Rog- uh, Rogic yeah. is missing for the Germany game but might they hope he'll be back for the weekend so this is interesting as I mean you'll be interested to know Celtic's availability or the players that can and can't play um, Craig Levine but I'm not sure it'll it'll affect his team selection that much we said earlier he's got options Um, I think if Haring's fit Haring plays you could argue that Bozanek is is more mobile because he is a natural in that position as opposed to Haring who was brought in as a centre back and has been a revelation as a defensive midfielder what you could do and what you could have you could play them both now it was awkward last week when we went through the team for the Aberdeen game and then Suter and Uche were ruled out literally hours after we'd recorded Um, it depends what you want to do if you want a a containing um, formation or you want them to worry about us and, and kind of stick with the 4-4-2 or however he wants to play it. Um, but with Brown being out, with probably Griffiths being out and 
it's unfortunate with Boyata out that we don't have Uche because I think he would just bully whoever plays for Celtic. But we, we don't have that, so we've got Naismith. If you're bringing in Bozanic to play alongside Haring and Jume and Lee, um, it does and Morrison, it, it does kind of well. It, it means you can't play um, both Naismith and McLean, so McLean would have to make way. I'll, I'll be interested. I'll be really interested to see what team Craig Levine goes. I think an hour before kickoff or an hour and a half before kickoff, when the team news appears on the Hearts website, I think you'll get an insight into what Craig Levine. Uh, believes will happen in the game by who he picks. And that's the Celtic preview done uh, midway through the Dundee, Dundee review. Dundee review, you, yes. For, for everyone tuning in, you can feel my pain as trying to, to edit this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I am sorry. going to revert slightly back to Dens Park again. Oh, yes, I, yes. I, I agree with what you said about Oli Bozanic. He's one of the big things... I think we can take from the Aberdeen and Dundee games as a really good option. We've not seen a whole lot of him in these sort of matches. He played a bit more in the Betfred Cup games against lower league opposition, but I think a player who looks technically better than, than Peter Haring, I would think. Maybe not as, as strong in a defensive fashion, but he really wanted the ball to his feet. I thought he was clever in his distribution, passing it around, which, to be fair, Haring has got ability in that respect as well. I thought Arno June was super again at Dens Park. I thought one of the many candidates for man of the match. He was strong, he had good passing, he was direct. He gave Dundee a lot of problems. No surprise that he was involved in two of the goals. And that man Naismith again, such a talisman. Um, I loved how he dragged the Dundee defence around. He got in behind them off the shoulder, had a lovely little back heel to Stephen McLean, which McLean should have finished off. And... I think it just shows how important he can be. And I like that he's played in a couple of different roles, very subtle differences, but that in the absence of Uchi Ekpiezu, he seems to have taken on the mantle of potentially going forward and playing up past Stephen McLean, who does like to drop deeper sometimes. So I think that's good. It's good that we have that option. In terms of the key moments, I mean, the opening goal, wonderful free kick from Aussie uh, Bozanic, uh, um, Oli Bozanic, the Aussie rather and um, good to see again, like I said in the Aberdeen game to see players now able to take set pieces because for years I've been so frustrated by terrible corners and terrible <laughs> free kicks by numerous <laughs> players at Hearts and to have players who can dispatch them like that, we've seen Ben Guruccio do it, I think Oli Lee uh, can certainly do it and Oli Bozanic as well now doing it. It's just great to have the option. And suddenly, you know, you get a free kick within 25 yards of goal and you think, well, there's a good chance we can actually get a goal from here. And uh, Phil Turnbull looked very pleased with himself sitting next to me in the press box because he nudged me just before the free kick and said, this is going in. And um, as if he'd scored it himself, looked very smug. Um, he tried yeah. it. He tried it the second half, and it didn't work. That time, so. <laughs> it's only uh, it, it's only fair to help your editing along that while we're talking about the Dundee game and looking ahead to the Celtic game this weekend, that I talk about the Hibs game next midweek as oh, well. Come on, come on, come on! I'm 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 just saying, uh, and there is a direct correlation here, which there isn't normally. I'm just saying set pieces will be important in that game too because they have one of the best in Stevie Mallon, so yes. it'll be important for us. And that's all I'm going to say. So we've managed a Hibs, a Celtic, <laughs> a Dundee, and an Aberdeen. Uh, in in the last couple of minutes, that's pretty good. <laughs> and the second goal is one of these where I think it helps dispel this myth that Hearts under Craig Levine, this Hearts team, are 
one dimensional. Don't get me wrong, they have the dimension of being able to be physical, being direct, and I actually have no problem with that. I think sometimes the most entertaining and effective football is direct, is getting the ball forward quickly and using strength and physicality. But what many people who don't watch this Hearts team week in, week out, haven't seen is the fact that there's a lot of ability there with the ball on the ground as well. And I think you saw it with that second goal when Tume wins it midway inside his own half. There's six passes quickly played between the Hearts players. It's out to Michael Smith. It's cut across the box. Stephen McLean tries to finish it. In the end, gets an assist for Naismith to touch in at the back post. But we've seen it a few times this season. Hearts cutting teams open with that quick passing. And, and I thought it was wonderful to see. And at times in that first half against Dundee, Hearts were queuing up to try and get a second goal and a third goal. And they could have been four or five up at half time. That sort of move, I think, is it just shows the different the flexibility. I think of this heart side. Can I suggest that whoever has perpetuated this myth maybe hasn't seen hearts that often, and maybe they've seen them once, and they resorted to long ball tactics, probably when Craig Levine's first first spell at the club. <laughs> yes. Yet this tag of long ball Harry Hoof merchants. Um, is is still associated with with this side. Um, maybe it's it's worth you coming along to Tynecastle or to watching Hearts because they have options, they have variations, they have a variety of their play. Might not always work, um, but there's always a time in a game for getting rid if you're under pressure. Um, but what they're trying to do is get the ball in the deck and, and play it. Look, I, I think what you find in modern-day football, a lot of the times uh, a lot of teams are at their most dangerous just after they've won the ball back um, with the opposition coming forward because a lot of them have got pace in wide areas. And if you need a, a long ball, which might be a diagonal, there's a big difference between that setting up a counter than just a punt up the park and clearing your lines. And that's, that, that's something that's important as well to, to, to note and that this or this lazy kind of um, oh, hearts big physical side long ball they might not be the prettiest team to watch they haven't scored the goal that Arsenal scored at the weekend which was great to watch yeah but I think you're right um, as, as we said in episode one we will praise where praise is due and we'll not be cheerleaders and if necessary um, we're fans we'll, we'll say what we think um, I'm more than happy to talk about um, the way Hearts are playing right now and hopefully they can continue to do that starting, in fact not starting, continuing on Sunday against Celtic. So obviously halftime was 2-0 at Dens Park. Stephen McLean scored 20 seconds into the second half to kill off the game effectively and from then on it was a formality. It was one of these which I think Craig Levine would have been desperate to get in that match as I mentioned earlier, just cantering across the finish line it was ideal to be able to substitute a couple of players and make sure players weren't risking injury or potential suspension and what I wanted to do Mark quickly we're not going to go through every single incident and I think the second half was fairly routine one thing that I mentioned during commentary on Tuesday night and fans have still been mentioning ahead of Celtic Dimitri Mitchell I thought against a better side than Dundee, and there's a lot of better sides in Dundee. I, I think even Dundee fans would admit they are honking, to be honest. Jim McIntyre's got a fair job to try and get them going on an upward trajectory, if I can get that word out. But Dimitri Mitchell, 
I thought he played himself into some sticky situations again, and I'm still not convinced that we should be playing him at left back. And I'm going to guess you probably haven't changed that opinion either. Nope, there was one instance in the second half where I was clear it, get rid. And he played a ball diagonal back in field, and it was to a Dundee player, and, and it didn't come to any good uh, or any harm from a Hearts perspective. But totally with you there. Against a better team starting on Sunday, um, if, if I'm, I, mean, I know they've, they've got RB Leipzig, but if I'm Brendan Rodgers, um, I'll have received scouting reports from whoever covered that game for Celtic up at, Hart, uh, up at Dundee, um, and they will have identified weak links. Dimitri Mitchell coming forward is not a weak link. Um, putting balls into the box by certainly not a weak link. Defensively, he is a weak link for Hearts. And if we can see it, then I'm sure the Celtic scout who was there last night will have seen it as well. So don't be surprised if Dimitri Mitchell starts at left back at Murrayfield on Sunday, if he is targeted um, by Celtic uh, with um, maybe diagonal balls, um, for the, the physicality, because he's not the biggest. But I think pressurising Dimitri Mitchell, uh, he, he's he's a really good left midfielder going forward. Defensively, he's learning. He's getting better. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if, if they concentrated certain attacks down that side, if they have that opportunity to do so, and maybe try and double-team him. Because uh, that's, that's, that's a slight concern for me ahead of Sunday, but I totally get what you're talking about because there was at least one instance at Dens Park that against a better team, then they would have been in. Dundee are not a good side right now. They are a gang. Whoa, wait a minute here. Wait a minute, we've got a minute left. Okay, next up, we are going to look ahead to the Celtic game, which I guess we've pretty much done already, given Mark's uh, constant tangents that he's uh, ran off with. Um... But I suppose we've probably still got two minutes or something we can we can cover Celtic. So next up for Hearts is Celtic at Murrayfield, Betfred Cup semi-final Sunday afternoon at half past one. One thing we haven't spoken about, which I'll mention first, is ticket sales. Now, when we last spoke about it, Mark was saying he wants a 30k sold, nothing else. And I said I'd be pleased if we got near 25,000. I'm pleased to say I have been proven wrong and I'm delighted that at the time of recording we've sold more than 27,000 so at the moment potentially on our way to sell that 30,000 and I'm guessing Celtic will most likely sell all or most of their 30,000 so at the moment we are heading for the biggest attendance for a Scottish game in 29 years Uh, it's just said to be such a big match and such a big atmosphere at the home of Scottish rugby. Can't wait. Cannot wait. It can go one of two ways in the build-up. You can. It's, it's rare that I've, as a Hearts fan, gone into a game with as much optimism. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, yes, we're going to win. I'm talking about optimism and that we know they're still the favourites. But this is as optimistic I've been that Hearts can get a result against the Celtic side for some time. Uh, they have momentum, and I just hope they perform. I, I just hope they show up. Um, I don't think they'll get a better chance of beating Celtic um, the way that, uh, not so much they're playing right now, although they're, they're certainly not playing the way that they have been doing. Uh, they're still a really good side, and if they play well, they'll win. That, that's the bottom line. 
have to stop them from playing well somehow. We're going to take advantage of the players that they're missing. We've got to crowd the areas that they're good at. And we've got to have a bit of luck as well. We've always needed that little bit of luck when playing better sides. Um, and I, I just I hope Hearts players can come off that field on Sunday at whatever time it is, 3.34 if it goes to extra time, and say, I couldn't have given any more. If it goes our way, great. I would love that. If it doesn't, it shouldn't um, tarnish what's been a wonderful start to the season. If we don't show up, I'll be really disappointed because, as you say, there's nearly 30,000 going to be in attendance of Heart supporters um, on, on, on Sunday, and they're going to show up. I've got no reason to believe that the football club won't as well. And, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. And where do you think the game's going to be won and lost? Because we've obviously beaten Celtic already this season. We hammered them last season at Tynecastle. This is neutral ground, no matter what Brendan Rodgers claims. One of the factors that helped us, I think, last time at Tynecastle was the likes of Vucci. We, we got in Celtic's faces. It was a, quite an open game. It could have gone either way, but I think Hearts did edge it. I mean, they certainly didn't the score line, but I think they edged it in terms of deserving to win as well. It was a fiery encounter. I, I can't see it being anything but a fiery encounter again. Um, where do you think this game is going to be won or lost? Because I think one of the key things is the fact Scott Brown isn't there for Celtic and Stephen Naismith, Touchwood, should be there for Hearts. And I think that's one of the key battles in terms of just having that character, that presence on the pitch for one of the sides. Fitness. That's where it'll be won and lost. When Hearts have beaten Celtic, they've been in about them. They've been in their faces. They've right from kickoff. And and Celtic, Celtic would have loved a free week in the build-up to this. And I, I I totally get why Hearts asked Dundee if they could play the game on on Tuesday, um, because it's kind of keeps them ticking over. RB Leipzig are a bloody good side. They're fifth in the Bundesliga, and and they're a right good team. And I don't know what's going to happen against Celtic. I hope for the whole coefficient. I hope Celtic do well in, in Germany, like I do all Scottish teams in Europe. I know it's not a view that's shared by by all. I don't care. Um, I want them to do well. Uh, but, I mean, I want them to get a chasing as far as um, fitness yeah. is concerned. I, I want them blown out their backsides, and I want them all sleeping on that flight because they are absolutely knackered at having run really hard for 90 minutes. And we've got the extra couple of days, and there'll be changes as well that Craig Levine will make. Um, I don't know a particular area of the park where it could be won and lost, because until you get the team news, then it's hard to kind of assert what, what's going to happen. But fitness for me is something that Craig Levine has instilled. Uh, he had when Tom Ritchie was at the football club first time around and, and whatever. Um, he wants his players to be able to do another 90 minutes when they come off the field. Uh, after 90 minutes. He wants them that fit so that they're fresh and they're they're ready to go. And, and that has been the secret to success against Celtic because if you allow them time, they have better players than us. They'll beat you. And that's the bottom line. You stop them from playing or try and stop them from playing. You pressurise them. Then, I mean, they're, they're going to have a bit of a makeshift defence. So I, I just think fitness for me is the one area Hearts will be fit, hearts will be sharp, hearts will be ready, and they'll come flying out the blocks. And if Celtic aren't up to matching hearts, then hearts have got a right good chance on Sunday. Wherever you come from, whoever you come to support, get behind your favourites. Let's make some noise! Let's hope hearts do the business on Sunday against Celtic in that massive Betfred Cup semi-final game. 
We, of course, beat Celtic early in the season, as I've mentioned, and we have had a few wins against them down the years have been memorable, of course, unfortunately, as things go with Hearts and Celtic, more defeats. But there's been a few big ones down the years, Mark, and I know it's something we spoke about uh, off-air. Where where are you on the the favourites when it comes to Hearts wins against Hmm. Celtic? Or In fact, it doesn't have to be wins, I suppose, just maybe favourite games against Celtic. One of my favourite ever um, victories for Hearts over Celtic um, was one of the first ones that I saw. And it came in February 1987. It was a Scottish Cup tie, and time was running out. Um, it was a Saturday afternoon, and Hearts got a free kick on the right-hand side. And John Robertson, with 10 minutes to go, curled a shot that took a deflection and ended up past Pat Bonner. Uh, and it was I had seen them beat Celtic before. Uh, they'd actually beaten Celtic at home in the league Um I think the December, a couple of months beforehand, when Neil Berry got the only goal. That was the first time I'd ever seen Hearts beat Celtic because uh, my first ever game was just after Hearts beat Celtic in October 85. But the cup tie was my first... um, I think it it wasn't my first Scottish cup tie. We we played Rangers in the third round and beat them 3-2. And you think, I'd like a, a nice draw, please. And you get Celtic, and you're like, goodness. And there was wonderful footage, and it's on YouTube, of when Hart scored behind the. I was in the family enclosure, the old, the, the enclosure by the turn, uh, the tunnel, that day with my uh, with my mum and dad. But there's footage on YouTube of when Hart scored. There used to be a, a little shed. It was a, a, a like a pie hut. Uh, it wasn't quite underneath uh, in the corner of the terracing and the shed. It was it was still kind of uncovered uh, as far as not under um, the roof and the shed. But there were two Hearts fans. One guy had the audacity to wear white socks with black dress shoes. Um, <laughs> a fashion faux pas, but didn't give a toss because he's up there with his pal on top of the pie shed, hut, whatever you want to call it, dancing a jig of joy. That was the first time um, that I had seen Hearts beat Celtic in a Scottish Cup tie. The the Craig Beatty thing was memorable, but I wasn't there. Uh, I watched it from uh, my house over here. The Austin McCann um, goal, the Jose Cotongo equaliser, they're all memorable moments of which I've been involved either as a fan or as a commentator. But the the Robo goal, it's funny how things just stick in your head. Um, you're, you're right, there have not been that many wins over the years. There's been a hell of a lot of heartache. I remember the semi-final in 88, the Scottish Cup, when Brian Whitaker had given us the lead. Um, but we just we couldn't hold on, and McGee and Walker scored late on to, 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 uh, to kill us, um, and, and we lost 2-1. So I would say that the, the 87 fourth-round Scottish Cup tie is probably, it's one of my favourites, if not the favourite, it's certainly up there. What about you? You just mentioned it briefly, and it was actually my first win as a fan over Celtic, believe it or not, was the Austin McCann game in 2003. And um, I double-checked this not long ago. It was 12 consecutive defeats Hearts had suffered Oof. against Celtic before that one. And um, 
my early days of going to watch Hearts and Celtic were mainly against Martin O'Neill's Celtic, which was formidable. It was a side who just tore us to shreds so many times. You know, Henrik Larsson and Sutton, Petrov, Hearts and these kind of players. It was always ominous facing them. And I remember that game was when they were gunning for the title. Hearts were, of course, gunning for third spot in the table, which at that point was, I guess, winning the league. If if you think Celtic are a force now, I think, I think back to then, they were just streets ahead of us, money-wise and quality-wise. And um, I'd actually been not as uh, a lot more ill than I am just now. I'd had um, tonsillitis. I think I had a throat infection, chest infection, and I took a bunch of medicine to make sure I could go to that game and try and last the 90 minutes with the help of some beer as well. I remember, obviously, Phil Stamp equalised after Larson had given them the lead, and we were effectively celebrating that. You know, It was going to be a good point against Celtic. We put a big dent in their title hopes, so they were absolutely throwing everything at us in the closing stages. And it was almost like we just wanted to hold on. A 1-1 draw is a good result for us. Can't remember the points difference but it was going to help us a lot it was almost going to get us over the line for Europe anyway and obviously you'll know it well because you were screaming over the um, <laughs> over the mic for that one and as they threw everything at us we suddenly broke away and it, it came from nowhere really from what I can remember suddenly it was um, Severin bursting out and he had options and we're all screaming to play it to I think it was Kirk or Stamp possibly to the right and yeah, had, we thought he played on the wrong side. And he had Austin McCann coming to the left, like, play it right, play it right. It's like almost like Ali right. Muzturk's moment at Easter Road. Everyone, the fans are all shouting him to do one thing. And he did the other. He rolled it to Austin McCann, who was, well, let's be honest, a, an average fullback for Hearts. He didn't do an awful lot for the Jambos. Nice enough guy. but And we're like, why are you playing it to him? And then you see him take his draw his left foot back. We're like, no, no, don't shoot. We've got options coming forward. And shoot he did and took everyone by surprise including Rab Douglas in a Celtic goal and of course it's one of those iconic Hearts goals now flew into the top corner absolutely incredible striking touched off the post on its way in and it was just absolute bedlam and it was that moment that for for me and for us anyway I know there's a lot of things that affected Celtic's league title challenge that season and it wasn't over then but it felt like that moment we secured Europe. We ended their title hopes. I know we didn't technically. And it was just chaos. And it was a time where I'd never seen us beat Celtic at all. And it was just a time mm. where they were a real force. And, of course, we've probably heard your commentary of it many times since. And it was a wonderful moment. Yeah, and it's a commentary I haven't actually heard for a while. And I'm looking forward to hearing again uh, ahead of, of, of Sunday, just because it makes the hairs in the back of the neck stand on end. Uh, not the commentary, just the memories of being at the game and, and seeing what happened. I think, if I'm right in saying, bearing in mind that Phil Stamp had scored the equaliser, I think my commentary was something along the lines of, and Austin McCann has put a stamp on a passport that takes hearts into Europe. Kirk's got a chance on the break for Hearts. He'll score Severin. Phil Stamp on the far side. Can Severin score him? He's on the left hand side now. The three ball to Austin McCann. Austin McCann goes Austin. for oh! Austin McCann! What a goal! Austin McCann has scored the goal of a lifetime! Austin McCann has perhaps had been Rangers the title, and Austin McCann has perhaps put a stamp on a passport that takes hearts into Europe. 
So what we could ask listeners to do, um, it's maybe going to be bad timing because we don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. By the time we we record next time, we will know. But some of your favourite memories of matches against Celtic. So it could be victories. I mean, it could be, um, you know, Osman So scoring a terrific free kick to to grab a draw as well. You know, as as Graham Weir and and such like. There are some games that you don't win that can be just as memorable as victories. So give us a, a tweet or a message um, at around the funnel. Or email us uh, podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk if you've got any memories you want to share with us of games against Celtic. And hopefully Sunday proves to be a game which leaves us with lots of great memories to reminisce of in the future as well. But just before we go, and, and that is the homework for this week, um, your, your favourite memories against Celtic. doesn't need to be results. It can be even draws or specific goals or whatever. We haven't beaten them that often. Just going back over the last 30 years or, or whatever. When we ha- yeah, we, we, we have. And the, the League Cup, John Robertson, extra time goal after we had four sent off at Ibrox. But two, just briefly, I want to mention, um, which aren't really that standout wins, but one was a League Cup tie at Celtic Park in a quarter final, And we went into that game, uh, from what I remember, with no chance. Of, of kind of doing it. We'd, we'd been all a bit written off and it was in October 2007, League Cup quarterfinal. Andreas Velitska scored a couple of goals and we won 2-0. The other one was a game at Hamden. I remember going, I think it might have been on, I normally went on the port, uh, the Pennycook Hearts bus, but I think this time we weren't running a bus to this game. It was a midweek game at Hamden against Celtic in a league game when they played at Hamden for a season or two. And I think it was Portobello Hearts I went with that day on the bus because um, I don't think I was old enough to drive um, or I didn't fancy it. David Hagen scored with four minutes to go. And again, it's just one of these games. It's You go into it saying, just give me a draw now. And then we ended up winning. And it's it, it, does, it might not mean much to that many people. It was a, a, a Wednesday night, a cold Wednesday night in April 1995 and Hagen's goal got us the win. Um, but just when you look back on, on the, the second game of the season in 05-06, after we'd beaten Killy away, we beat Celtic um, 2-1 at uh, at home. That was that was a, a big game as well. It, it, it put a marker down. Roman Bednar scoring three minutes from time. Again, we spoke earlier about momentum. That was huge after Petrov had equalised a Bednar strike. And that kind of set us up for the first eight, nine games until... Uh, until the Burley, the George Burley incident, so there have been there have been memorable moments. I've just picked up two wins there, or picked off two wins there. So feel free to come up with anything that that you fancy and and, and get in touch via the usual methods, and we'll read out the best next week. Uh, that's all from myself and Mark this time around. We hope you enjoyed listening. We'll be back uh, between the Celtic win that we're going to get the Hearts win over Celtic, I should say, and the uh, big Edinburgh derby. I'm going to be optimistic, yeah. Okay, I'll just say next week. Just, and that's just safer. Yeah, just say next week. Whatever happens, we will be back. I should mention that. But let's hope it's a memorable, a memorable victory against Celtic and Hearts can progress to the League Cup final. Whatever happens, though, Hebs do come up on Halloween as well. And so we'll see you next time to discuss that.